Eventually, our ancestors get desperate. They cry to the Lord for help. And God raises up a judge who is um, a warrior. There's various judges, but they're all warriors in the book of Judges. And the, the judge delivers them, leads them in, in war, delivers them from the enemy. They go through a time of peace and prosperity and rest for a number of years. And then the cycle starts all over again. They get complacent and so on and so forth. So that's, that's the cycle in the book of Judges. Um, the, the audience that would have, uh, the ancient audience that would have read this book would have read it with the same kind of enthusiasm that we watch action movies with. Um, it's, it's awesome what happens. But they also would have read it not uh, with something deeper than we watch an action movie. They would have watched it with the knowledge that behind the scenes of what is happening, God is at work in this world. And God is at work teaching Israel and all of humanity, actually, that there is a, a moral and spiritual reality in the world. And that finding that and actually conforming our lives to it is the, the ultimate battle for you and for me and for our world. And in order to fight those battles, it, it takes faith. In Deborah, we see a faithful woman. So I want you to listen as, or read along with me as I read from Judges chapter 4. The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud, Ehud died. So the Lord sold them into the hand of King Jabin of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth Hagoim. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron and had oppressed the Israelites cruelly for 20 years. At that time, Deborah, a prophetess, a wife, uh, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramoth and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kedesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take position at Mount Tabor, Bring 10,000 from the tribe of Naphtali and the tribe of Zebulun. I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the Wadi Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah got up and went with Barak to Kedesh. Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali to Kedesh, and 10,000 warriors went up behind him, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite had separated from the other Kenites, that is, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses and had encamped as far away as Elon Benanin, which is near Kedesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, son of Abinoman, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all the chariots, 
900 chariots of iron, and all the troops who were with him from Harasheth Hagoim to the Wadi Kishon. Then Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day on which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. The Lord is indeed going out before you. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 warriors following him. And the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and all his army into a panic before Barak. Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot, while Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Harosheth Hagoim. All the army of Sisera fell by the sword. No one was left. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Lord God, we do thank you for the times when good actually does win over evil. And we thank you for this woman, Deborah, and for this story of Deborah and Barak and Jael, and pray that it would speak now to us. So open our ears that we might hear what it is that your spirit is saying to us this day. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, at this point in the book, you can see that as I started reading, Israel is, is in the down part of the cycle, in the, in the hard part of the cycle. And, um, and the bad guy, there's a couple bad guys. I mean, King, King Jabin is a bad guy, right? He's, he's the one that's, that's in charge and oppressing him. But the real, real villain in the story is the commander of his army, Sisera. Think um, taser face. Or, um, or better, in, in, in real life, actually, think, um, think of the real evil people like Hitler, Stalin, Osama bin Laden. Uh, that's, the, that's the kind of bad guy we're dealing with in this story. He has 900 chariots of iron. This is the Iron Age. But Israel has zero. They are in trouble. Serious trouble. And they need... Help. They need someone of indomitable courage. They need someone of strong, strong faith. And God raises up Deborah. It's a surprise in a patriarchal culture, but God raises up Deborah, a girl, to lead Israel. I want to talk about leadership, I want to talk about presence, and I want to talk about giving God credit. Leadership. God gifts and calls Deborah to lead Israel at this time and this place. When I first became serious about my faith, my mentor and all of the, pretty much all of the Christians that I knew at that time believed strongly that women could not lead men. They could lead women and children, but they could not lead men. And there were a couple of really important verses to them that, that made them um, hold that position. One was in 1 Timothy 2, where Paul says, I permit no woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She is to keep silent. Boom. 
drop the mic. Women can't teach or have authority. Um, another key verse uh, is one that is found in 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul says it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. And again, she's supposed to keep silent. But as I studied the Bible, I found that although the Bible said things like that in those, in those books, there were many, many other places where women were leading. And, and so it seemed to contradict in some places what was being said in other places. Whenever we're studying scripture, it's really important to ask the question, is this something for all times and all cultures in all places? Or is this something that was for some particular reason at that time and in that place? For instance, uh, I walked in here today and people have been very nice to me and no one has said to me, Gail, you're in sin because you're wearing gold and pearls. But right before Paul says to that I permit no woman to speak or, or to teach or have authority over a man, he forbids women to wear gold or pearls. I'm standing here before you right now, and I don't have my head covered. But in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, if a woman prophesies, which is what I'm doing right now, or prays with her head uncovered, unveiled, she disgraces her head. So you can see what I mean, that um, it's just really important that when we come to the scriptures, and especially when we come to scriptures where in certain places it's, it's saying one thing and in other places it's saying something different, that we ask the question, why? And I don't have time to go into all the reasons why people have come up with what might have been happening in Timothy's day or in, or in the Corinthian church, but... Um, there, there must have been some reason that in, in those cases it was important, and in other cases it was important for women to lead. We know, in fact, that Paul had uh, women leading churches that he started. Priscilla, um, Lydia, Chloe. He names 12 women that he calls his co-workers in the gospel. Jesus names, uh, there are eight women that are named as very close among the intimate disciples in, in Jesus' following. Um, very significant that Jesus first appeared to women after the resurrection, and that, that they were the first ones that proclaimed the resurrection. And even in the Old Testament, where women were, uh, you know, not very highly regarded, were not educated, even in the Old Testament, we find Miriam leading in the time of Moses, and Deborah today, and Huldah, who we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, actually, in this series. And so it, it, it's just clear that, that women um, are, are raised up to lead. Deborah, Deborah was leading here, and, and, and she had authority to lead. She played different roles. She was a prophetess, which means she was hearing revelation from God, and then she would tell people. She was a judge. Uh, we often think of a judge as in a courtroom and wearing a black robe. That's not true for most of the judges in this book, but it is 
a role that, that um, Deborah plays, actually. Very much like Moses in the book of Exodus, um, people would, would come if they had disputes among themselves and they couldn't resolve them. They would come and they would sit before Moses in his day. And then Moses, there were so many, Moses chose a bunch of wise elders to help him. Deborah would have done the same thing. Um, she probably chose wise elders to help. People would come. They would lay their disputes. If they were more minor disputes, the elders would, would probably dis determine those. But for the big ones, Deborah would decide those. Um, she, so prophetess and then a judge. And, and she's, a, she's a, uh, the commander of the army. Um, she's a warrior. All the judges were warriors. Um, and now all of these roles, she is leading men in all of them. So, she sends for Barak, who's about 17 miles away. She sends for him. He comes obediently. And she tells him, okay, 10,000 troops, get him. You're going to meet Sisera. You're going to meet him. He's going to have 900 chariots. Don't worry about it. I know you don't have any, but God has told me he's going to deliver Sisera into your hands. So, go. And at this point, the audience expects Barack to go, game on. I'm in. But instead, he says something that surprises all of us. He says, you go with me, I'll go. But if you won't go with me, I won't go. And she says, I'll go with you. Leadership, presence. She didn't have to say, I'll go with you. Can you imagine if the commanding officer of the army in Afghanistan said to President Trump, okay, I'll go if you'll go with me. But if you won't go with me, I won't go. I mean, what, what were, she had options, other options. She could have court-martialed him. She could have fired him. She could have replaced him with somebody that would go without her. She could, have, uh, she could have taken his job. She could have just done it herself. She could have berated him. But she says, I'll go with you. He's clearly afraid to go by himself. Even with 10,000 men, he's afraid. He needs her. Before we're too hard on Barack, who here hasn't been afraid to fail? Who here hasn't been afraid that you were going to lose a battle? The truth is, when we're afraid, it's really hard to say yes to God's call to fight a battle. And it's really helpful to have somebody who continues to come alongside of us and continue to turn our heads and our hearts to the Lord. And that's exactly what she does. Hey, God's told me you're going to win this. And she goes out onto the battlefield with him and Sisera shows up and he's got 900 chariots and, and she says, Okay, it's go time. Remember, the Lord's already gone out before you. 
You're going to be okay. You're going to win this. You're going to deliver Sisera right into your hands. Ministry of presence is powerful. It's just really powerful. I think of a time when I was incredibly discouraged and a, a colleague met with me and, and sat with me a long time. Just sat with me, was with me. And then he began to speak words that turned my head and my heart toward the Lord. And I left that place with the courage to do what I knew I had been called to do. Think of a time when I was really sick and I had to quit my job. The income from that job was important to me, important to us and to our family. And Tom had a boss, an amazing boss. And he just got into battle with us. He, he creatively found ways to increase Tom's salary by quite a bit. He just, man, he was in it with us. Um, I went through a pretty grueling treatment for hep C that, you know, pretty much knocked me out for a year. And I think of the people who came for a year <laughs> and brought us meals. Just amazing. They were, they were in it with us. I'll go with you, she said. I'll go with you. Made all the difference for him. There's a something that in the Bible it's called the Song of Deborah, which is is in the very next chapter. It's it's um, it's really uh, beautifully written. It's probably the oldest song of its type that we have in the Bible uh, as a whole, and most of it is full of praise and um, joy and just amazing, you know, what, about what God has done. But there's a section in there where they list who showed up and who didn't. And um, most of you probably know that Israel at this time was divided into tribes, and each tribe was named after one of the, of the sons of Jacob. And so the names that I'm going to read are are actually names of tribes, whole, whole tribes. Um, and I'm reading from the message. The captains from Ephraim came to the valley behind you, Benjamin, with your troops. Captains marched down from Maker, from Zebulun. High-ranking leaders came down. Issachar's princes rallied to Deborah. Issachar stood fast with Barak, backing him up on the field of battle. But in Reuben's division, there was much second-guessing. Why all those campfire discussions? Diverted and distracted, Reuben's divisions couldn't make up their minds. Diverted and distracted. Boy, does that speak to an awful lot of us today. Diverted and they couldn't make up their minds. Gilead played it safe across the Jordan. And Dan, why did he go off sailing? Asher kept his distance on the sea, court, on the sea coast safe and secure in his harbors. Do you hear what she's saying here? In Richard Dahlstrom's words, 
God was writing a story. There were battles to fight, enemies to fight, victories to be won, blessings to accrue, and you stayed home. Like may it never be. When God is calling you to do battle with either an internal or an external force, it's because he wants to bring all the forces of resurrection victory to bear on your life and in the world. So that you experience the Lord, not just as something you read about, but as a reality in your life. So don't stay home. Don't stay home. We see in Deborah sacrificial leadership on the front lines for the sake of the people. We see her 100% present all the way in. Why? Because God said go. And when God calls you, that's the right thing to do, so that's what you do. Now, the story gets really violent at this point. It's violent in chapter 4, and it's extremely vividly violent when she sings about it in the song. The Sisera's army gets decimated. Um, We find out in chapter 5, God sends a, a major storm and it messes, the effect, messes up the effectiveness of the chariots. And Anyway, the army gets decimated. Sisera, though, flees. Um, there's this woman named Jael who is standing outside her tent. She sees Sisera running. She invites him to come into her tent. He thinks it's safe. Um, for her, it's an extraordinarily dangerous thing to do, actually. She's another really strong woman in the Bible. Um, Uh, He comes into the tent. He says, if anybody comes looking for me, lie. Tell tell them there's nobody in here. He's thirsty, wants something to drink. She gives him some milk. He lays down because he's exhausted. She covers him up with a rug. And when he falls asleep, she picks up a hammer and a nail, and she drives it through his head and straight into the ground. Isn't that just beautiful? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, she's not even a part of Israel, and she, she literally nails him. That's what she does. <laughs> now, in case you're wondering how serious this injury might have been, it tells us over and over again. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. No kidding. Barak comes looking for him. Jael invites him into her tent. And the text says, there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. In the next chapter in the song, great detail. Blessed be the woman, blessed among all women be Jael, describes the death again. With joy and praise, by the way. And then 27, he sank, he fell, he lay still at her feet. At her feet he sank, he fell, where he sank, then he fell dead. Is anybody unclear on what happened to Sisera? (laughs) Now, the audience is thrilled at this, right? Thrilled. Why? Because good overcomes evil. And we love that. 
that the, the powerful unjust does not have the last word, that God does, that this is God's story. It's God's story. Look at what God has done. And she gives credit again and again and again. If you want to know how vile Sisera is, you, can, you get a picture of it in her song in chapter 5, where she pictures Sisera's mother, and this is imaginative, right? This, is, this didn't happen, but she's imagining Sisera's mother standing at the window, looking out and wondering why he hasn't come home. And one of her servants says, oh, they're probably just enjoying the plunder of the war that they just won. One or two women for every man. One or two women for every man. That's how he did it. Rape was part of the strategy. It's been part of the strategy of war from the beginning of time. It's very much part of the strategy of war and genocide today in many, many, many parts of the world. And, and that's in part what God is saving them from. It's evil. It's evil. Now, is God saying, okay, from now on, that's how you treat your enemies? Grab a nail and a hammer. I mean, Jesus said, you heard it said, uh, love your neighbors, hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your neighbors and drive a tent peg through your enemy's head. No, he doesn't say that, right? Love your, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The ultimate battle, actually, Jesus did on the cross, when Roman soldiers took a nail and a hammer and nailed his hands and feet to that cross. And he didn't mete out violence and hate, but he actually took it all into himself for the sake of love, for the sake of the love of the world. And, and God gave his Holy Spirit. He raised Jesus from the dead and gave his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit has now come into the lives of all those who consider themselves followers of Jesus. And now we become part of fighting that battle, right? We're, we're, we're part of fighting the battles that, that God fights in this broken world. And, and, and they're out there for sure. But they're also in here. <laughs> that we have inside of us often this battle between good and evil. Apostle Paul says our, our uh, battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against powers and principalities and the, the, the authorities that are behind the scenes but very much active in this world. And they're active pressing in on our lives, the, these iron chariots that press in on our lives, and we, we can't fight the battle alone. But the Holy Spirit is in us. And when God calls you to fight a battle, pray for the faith to fight it. Whether it is a, a battle against fear, 
in your own life, or it's a battle against anxiety and depression, or greed, or self-centeredness, or whether it's battles on behalf of those who need your presence to fight with them, homeless people, veterans who everybody has forgotten, or immigrants, or children. When God calls you to fight, you, you fight. Um, and then give God the credit. That's what Deborah does over and over and over. Look at what God's done, she's saying. Look at what God's done. She says what life was like in Israel before, before God, God called her. And it was, it was hard. People were suffering. And there was no order. There was no freedom. There was no shalom. And then she says, and God raised up Deborah as a mother in Israel. Now, is she bragging? It's possible. But I don't think she is. I think what she's saying is, he raised up me. He called me. Look at what God did. And look at who God used. He used me. He used Barak. He, He used... Jael, look at what God has done. When, when you guys meet in your small groups, do you tell God stories? Look at what God's done. I, I, I was in this battle. Look at what God did. Look at, look at who God used. When, when you're having lunch or, or dinner with people, do you tell God stories? With your children, oh my gosh. So important to tell God's stories of battles you fought and what God did. It it takes the faith from being something just in a book to it's real. So important to tell stories, God's stories. And And to give God the credit, not take it for yourself. We're in the story, right? We're in the story, but God is writing it and God is working. God is driving the story forward toward the end of history, actually. We're in it, though. Look at what God did. Look at who God used. And we can do that with confidence. I just want to read one more verse from 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, get on with it. God's calling you to lead. Lead. God's calling you to show up. For his sake and for the sake of the people around you, show up. Be present. And then tell stories about it, giving God the credit. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, please take the words that I have just said, the words that we have heard, and use that to form us. Oh, Lord, would we be faithful. Faithful enough to fight the battles you're calling us to fight. And we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.